1: we we need uh, international help to rebuild Kharkiv. We need international help at all because of uh, we want to not to close the sky Uh, we need more weapon and uh, jets maybe, but uh, we also need uh, help to rebuild our cities, uh, our economy, because uh, now you know, Mariupol on the southern part of Ukraine, it's completely ruined. It's, it was a, a prosperous
0: city, and now
1: it's like ghost
0: city. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, May 11th, 2022. Dmytro Kosobov is the editor-in-chief of Lyuk Media in Kharkiv, Ukraine. It is a publication that used to be devoted to the culture and people and underground life of the country's second largest city. Then came the war. As men are not allowed to leave the country, Dimitro is camped out about 10 kilometers from the center of Kharkiv But that did not stop him from joining me in the virtual jungle studio to talk about his work as a Ukrainian cultural journalist before the war and how everything has changed during the war in a Russian speaking city that has become very Ukrainian. Some of this discussion takes place in English and some takes place in Russian. Simultaneous translation of those parts are done by Dominic Bustios. It's the Lawfare podcast, May 11th, Dimitro Kosubov on doing journalism in Kharkiv during the war. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who were you uh, before the war?
1: Yeah. Okay. My name is Dmitra. I was born in Kharkiv and uh, I'm 33 years old now. And all uh, my life, I've been living in Kharkiv. Uh, it's my native city. I'm working as a journalist for the last uh, eight years. And uh, for the last two years, uh, I have been uh, the editor in chief of Luke Media. It's uh, Kharkiv media about uh, local culture about uh, some underground artists, projects, and so on. So we made this uh, to promote Kharkiv, uh, to promote our city, because there is some problem that uh, a lot of people are going to Kyiv, to the capital of Ukraine, because uh, there are more opportunities in Kyiv, more vacancies, uh, more money, and so on. And uh, a lot of students, after graduations, after graduation, go to Kiev, and uh, we try just to show beauty of our city, to show all these projects, uh, and um, to motivate people to stay in Kharkiv.
0: And we hear a lot in in the West about you know Kharkiv as a you know Russian speaking city. Uh, how do you understand Kharkiv? You know. In its, in its ethnic makeup, uh, do you think of it as, you know, eastern Ukraine, Russian oriented Ukraine, or do you think of it as part of regular part of Ukraine, but speaks Russian?
1: Uh, yes, Kharkiv is a Russian speaking city mostly. It's about uh, 90% of people who speak Russian, but uh, you know, all these uh, language problems, we actually, we don't have such problems. It's Uh, political questions and uh, before uh, every election politicians uh, start to uh, tell about this uh, language problem but we don't have language problem we can speak any language uh, as we want uh, russian ukrainian english it doesn't matter and uh, now um, when putin said that he wants to Safe uh, Russian-speaking people. Just uh, more people uh, start uh, speaking Ukrainian now. Even my friends, because it's like a protest. Uh, I think language uh, is uh, not uh, a problem at all. And uh, Kharkiv is Ukrainian city. And uh, in uh, eight years ago, the administrative buildings were occupied by. Uh, pro-Russian forces and they were uh, Ukrainian securities uh, set them free and uh, we uh, don't want uh, such a scenario now and uh, Kharkiv uh, is a Ukrainian oriented city and uh, it's it's getting more and more patriotic because everybody now see what uh, happened and uh, what uh, does Russian word mean when rockets and missiles are bombing in uh, residential areas? So everybody knows uh, what does it mean now, and uh, the price of this peacemaking operation, as Putin called it.
0: Where are you now? I assume you're not in in Kharkiv. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm um, ten kilometers from Kharkiv. It's Poltava uh, region. It's uh, next one. Uh, to Kharkiv region and it's quite safe here but uh, we can not say that it's completely safe because uh, there are no places in Ukraine now where you can feel completely safe because they are for example they're striking uh, western parts like uh, Lviv and Ivano-Frankivsk and it's about uh, 10 kilometers from Poland from uh, NATO borders so you you Uh, can't feel safe anywhere in Ukraine now. You know, men from 18 to 60 are prohibited to leave Ukraine now. So just uh, women and children can, can go abroad.
0: So tell me about what happened to you starting at the beginning of the conflict. You were a working journalist on cultural matters and then... The war started. Tell me your story. Actually,
1: um, I felt like uh, the war would start because uh, of all these articles in uh, Western media, all this uh, information from uh, American intelligence. Um, So I thought that uh, the war would start, and uh, I was uh, ready that it would start. But uh, I tried to live my normal life as all my friends, but uh, it was some like uh, tension in the air because uh, of uh, all these uh, articles and all this information. And uh, just uh, a day before the war, we went uh, to the bar with my friends and we were joking like it's our uh, last evening in the bar. But uh, actually, it's now it's uh, our last uh, evening in the bar because uh, I went uh, home uh, about one a.m. and uh, just uh, uh, a few hours, uh, then uh, the war started.
0: Okay, so let me let me ask you about that. It was the the American intelligence announcements and you know the Biden statements saying the war was coming a lot of people from President Macron to President Zelensky didn't seem to believe them, or at least uh, made a point of of holding out the possibility of them being wrong. But you said you believed it and you were ready for it as a result. I- I'm curious whether most people, you know, reacted the way you did, or most people were surprised by the war and didn't expect it. Uh,
1: you know, it depends on people because uh, we uh, were discussing it with my best friend, and he always told me, "Don't worry, it will be okay." Uh, but and I told that uh, the war uh, will start. So, but uh, I think uh, that our authorities uh, they just uh, try. To calm down people, because uh, if now they say that they were ready for this war, and uh, all this uh, announcement by Zelensky and uh, our authorities that on uh, May we can go to have some rest and to live uh, our peaceful life, maybe it was just to avoid panic.
2: In order to avoid panic. So that the population wouldn't succumb to panic and the economy would remain more or less stable.
0: You can say all those things and still be fully prepared, or you can say those things, you know, and kind of, you know, not prepare. Do you feel like you, the Ukrainian authorities were saying those things but preparing on on the other hand, or do you feel like? Ukraine should have uh, been more prepared for the war when it happened?
1: I think that the main uh, thing here is that the war actually um, has started uh, eight years ago when Russia occupied uh, Crimea and uh, parts of eastern Ukraine, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk regions. So the war started eight years ago. And uh, the one thing is that our military was ready for such invasion and uh, they have good uh, military experience for these eight years. So, um, uh, actually, I think uh, our authority and uh, military were ready. But our society, I don't know, it depends on every person. Nobody knows uh, how big uh, this war can be. Maybe somebody thought that uh, Russia will um, hit just uh, uh, military objects, but uh, now they are hitting uh, residential areas where a lot of uh, civilians live. For example, Saltivka is uh, the biggest residential area and uh, and it's about half a million people live there. And uh, now it's one of the most uh, destroyed uh, areas in Kharkiv. And uh, there are no military objects at all in this area, just uh, residential uh, houses, buildings.
0: So let's go back to your story. You were in, uh, you were at the bar. You go home, yeah. And a few hours later, the war starts. Were you asleep when it happened? How? how what was your experience that early morning?
1: Uh, yeah, I was asleep, but uh, a friend of mine. Uh, whom I know for 20 years, uh, called me and uh, when I saw this call, I uh, un- understood at once that the war began, even before I picked up the phone. So actually then some people heard explosions uh, at about uh, 5 a.m., but uh, I was uh, sleeping. Then I woke up and uh, tried to do normal things like uh, I made tea, went uh, to the shower and uh, I already have uh, my emergency bag because uh, a lot of us uh, started uh, to pack it uh,
0: maybe a, a month before the war started. So did you then leave to where you are now or, or where did you go?
1: I uh, called my friends. I called my friends. Called my parents, and uh, uh, my father picked me up. I went to my parents' uh, apartment, uh, and uh, then we go to the next uh, basement. It was uh, under a residential building, and uh, it was quite uh, cozy. So we just. um, been there for about uh, 6 hours and then moved to the, another basement it was like a kitchen and it was very strange and I slept uh, on the table and uh, was very scary before because it was my first uh, night in the basement and uh, I really was afraid that something would happen like uh, uh, bombing or so on so and then we moved to my parents friend's uh, house it's private house with quite nice basement and uh, I we've spent there about six days and nights and then we moved to Altawa region and now we're here for two and a half weeks
0: so in that time How have you been spending your time? Uh, You're a journalist, a cultural journalist, but you're a journalist in a war zone. What are you doing with your days? Oh,
1: can uh, can I speak uh, Russian a little bit? (laughs) Of course. uh, We tried Um, to
2: reformat our uh, publication. That is, now we primarily write about the war and about everything connected uh, to uh, it. We interview people who have suffered from the war in some way. We give some recommendations to people on evacuation or enlisting in the territorial defense forces. And I manage a chronicle of the war, a war diary. And I also manage a war diary, in which each day I describe what is happening in Ukraine, and I describe my feelings and reflections regarding what is happening.
0: And how many of you are there?
1: Uh, there are about uh, four of ours in our team. And uh, my colleagues uh, now are in Chernivtsi, in western part of Ukraine. It's uh, near the border with Romania. But uh, we're working uh, online. We're used to it because, uh, actually, it's, uh, with the uh, pandemic, uh, we just uh, become more... Uh, more
2: flexible in this regard and we can work remotely.
0: And so you were interested in, you got into this business because you were interested in telling Kharkiv's story and making it more attractive for for young people who, so that they wouldn't go to Kiev. And now you have... The world's attention on Kharkiv, but for all the wrong reasons. I'm curious, what is the story that you want the world to understand about about your city? Now you're not talking to its residents; you're ta- you're talking to the rest of the world. What should people be understanding about Kharkiv?
1: Uh, yeah, I always wanted uh, to to the world just to, to know about Kharkiv, but uh, of course not under such uh, circumstances. But I think uh, even now it's good when uh, people uh, know about Kharkiv because uh, actually it's a beautiful city. It's the, uh, second uh, city of Ukraine and it's about 100 and half a million people. So it's uh, I think it's like uh, Prague Uh, Kharkiv uh, is uh, very interested in developing prosperous city with a lot of uh, uh, culture and historical heritage, with uh, a lot of uh, interesting people projects. So it's uh, very pity that uh, things are going like this, because, for example, now a lot of uh, our historical buildings uh, are destroyed, even those one who... Uh, resist during the world war ii for some historical monuments uh, they russians uh, are destroying them now
0: yeah so let's talk about the damage you know from the images that we see in western media it looks like the damage has been just massive from your perspective what do we know about the extent of of the damage in the city and and uh and also about the you know the 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 casualties among civilians uh yes the damage is uh, very big
1: because uh, they're bombing chaotically uh residential areas uh, schools uh, hospitals uh, kindergartens uh, even cathedrals uh, so uh, now there are almost uh, thousands of buildings that are destroyed, and uh, including uh, uh, almost uh, eight hundreds of residential buildings.
0: And and when you say residential buildings, do you mean apartment buildings mostly, or how individual houses?
1: Uh, more apartment buildings, because, for example, this uh, Saltivka area, which I was uh, told about, it's uh, like big. Uh, apartment uh, buildings, which were built uh, on the seventies of the last century. And uh, these uh, buildings are very similar to each other. uh, And a lot of people live there.
0: So when you say 800 residential buildings, on average, how many people are living in each one?
1: Uh, It's really hard to talk, but... uh... Our city authorities uh, told uh, that about uh, 2,000 and 50,000,
2: 250,000,
0: they have remained
2: without roofs over their heads and without housing at the moment.
0: So it's, if the war ended today and there were no more shelling in Kharkiv, you're talking about a major, major rebuilding project at this point, yeah?
1: Yeah, of course. We're ready to rebuild our city. And uh, I think, uh, I hope that a lot of people will come back and uh, try to rebuild uh, our city. Because, um, for example, uh, a lot of my friends uh, are on the western part of Ukraine, but Uh, All of them want to return to Kharkiv and uh, me too. I want to return as soon as possible, but now it's really very dangerous. Uh, That's why I had to leave, but uh, it's my favorite city. I always uh, told to anybody that uh, Kharkiv is the best city for living in Ukraine and we promote it in our project. And uh, of course, uh, I try to return to Kharkiv as soon as possible and we will rebuild it.
2: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. I want to tell you about the first time I got and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. But the the amount of work to rebuild those buildings is, is I mean, 800 buildings with 2,500 people living in them each. That's a lot of people without without homes.
1: Yeah, sure. But we, we need uh, international help to...
0: Rebuild Kharkiv.
1: We need international help at all because of uh, we want to not to close the sky. Uh, we need more weapons and uh, jets, maybe. But uh, we also need uh, help to rebuild our cities, uh, our economy. Because uh, now, you know, Mariupol on the southern part of Ukraine is completely ruined. It's, it was a, a prosperous city and now it's like ghost city uh, they keep on bombing uh, all the cities uh, in the east of ukraine in the south of ukraine in the north of ukraine so it's like a war against uh, my country it's a genocide of uh, ukrainian nation such things are going in the center of Europe in the 21st century, so like uh, uh, bombing uh, of uh, schools,
0: hospitals, uh, and uh, it's catastrophe. So, you work as in normal times, you a, a, a cultural journalist about Kharkiv. How bad has the damage been to? the cultural heritage of the city as opposed to the residential buildings?
1: Uh, There are a lot of uh, cultural objects uh, which were damaged, for example, uh, Opera House, Kharkiv Art Museum, uh, Uspensky Cathedral uh, and uh, Philharmonic. So these objects are destroyed now, not just uh, they have uh, some um, damage. They not just destroyed completely, but they were damaged. And uh, Kharkiv National University, for example, it's uh, the oldest university in the city and uh, one of the biggest in the country and in, Central, and in the Eastern Europe, it's some buildings of this university are also damaged. Uh, they tried to uh, strike to the police office and they hit uh, the university. And, uh, of course, it's problem. Uh, for example, the bar where I uh, was just before the war, in the evening before the war, it's uh, also destroyed this building and it's architectural monument monument. It was built in 1911. So it's more than uh, 100 years and this building is completely destroyed. And, uh, Kharkiv is, uh, quite different uh, in the context of architecture and uh, a lot of uh, buildings uh, which are more than 100 years. So it's a period of uh, Russian Empire before October Revolution. So they are now damaged or destroyed.
0: And do you have a sense of, like, why... The Russians are destroying a, a bar room. It, it's not. Do you think it was intentionally targeted, or do you think they were just shooting shells in indiscriminately, and it it got hit? Why? Why the opera house? Why the Philharmonic hall?
1: I think that um, first. Uh, firstly, they tried to capture uh, our cities by. Uh, ground forces, but then when they uh, couldn't do it, they just uh, started to bomb uh, everything. It's uh, not a military operation, it's just uh, a chaotically uh, bombing uh, of uh, our cities. So, for example, this opera house, it's very nice, it's like uh, brutalism architecture style, and it looks like... Uh, a big uh, space ship, and uh, all my friends from different countries, when they came to Kharkiv, they said that this uh, opera house uh, looks like uh, some space object because it's uh, quite interesting uh, architectural style. And uh, Kharkiv is uh, really ha- has very different uh, styles. So, like uh, Soviet Kharkiv, like uh, Imperial Kharkiv, and so it's like eclectic uh, city. Uh, why why did they hit Opera House? I really don't know, and uh, I don't understand uh, how all these uh, military people uh,
2: carry out such orders.
0: So tell me about the fighting in in Kharkiv. Now we were. At the beginning of the war, it was sort of one of the centers of the fighting, and now we're hearing much more about Mariupol and and the south. Uh, is the fighting still active in Kharkiv, or or has it quieted down at this point?
1: Yeah, it's still active, and uh, they uh, keep on bombing uh, residential areas. For example, uh, the day before yesterday. Eight people died in some in a residential area on the outskirts of Kharkiv, including a nine years old boy. So they were killed. It was the, the day before yesterday, and uh, now they uh, keep on bombing. I called to Kharkiv uh, in the morning, and it was a really noisy night, uh, and Pastyanya. Uh, The
2: air raid siren was sounding as usual.
1: For example, my grandparents they still stayed in Kharkiv, and one missile, one rocket, felt maybe half a kilometer from their apartment a few days ago, and it was very loud for them, and they can't sleep, and. it's uh, horrible things, maybe there are such as right
2: now there are fewer airstrikes according to the leadership of our oblast, but they continue to bombard the city with multiple rocket launchers
0: I'm interested why you have not been. Uh, required to be part of the territorial defense forces? Are you uh, aged out of that, or, or why have you not been drafted into, into territorial defense?
1: At the moment,
2: they are mobilizing people, first and foremost, who have some kind of combat experience. I am not included in this wave, first of all. Second of all, I think that right now everyone should do what they do best and so I'm trying to work in the information space. For instance, I gave an interview to the New York Times and talked about Kharkiv. That is, I try to be useful by doing what I can in the information
1: component.
0: And so, yeah, let's let's go back to that question of, of how you're spending your time. What does work in the information sphere mean for you right now? Like, you're running your publication. What are you focusing on in in that work? And who is the audience for it?
1: About our
0: uh, online uh, project uh, or at all? I mean, particularly the online project. It's Obviously, you're not focused on uh, sort of underground culture in Kharkiv right now. What sort of issues are are you covering in the course of doing that?
2: Well, for instance, today we released an interview with the commander of the Kharkiv branch of the territorial defense forces. Earlier, we wrote about a volunteer project which deals with evacuation and helps get people out of Kharkiv to safer places.
1: Moreover, for
2: instance, we are now publishing the letters of people who were forced to leave Kharkiv and who have a lot of emotions concerning their departure, and we are publishing the letters of Kharkiv residents who are now located in different cities.
0: One difficulty of running an online publication in a war zone, of course, is that many people, presumably in Kharkiv, don't have internet access right now has it been a problem to reach your audience or are people able to you know using their phones access the material that you're publishing
1: uh i think the uh, situation in kharkiv with network is better than for example in mariupol because uh, actually there are a lot of uh
2: Humanitarian aid in Kharkiv. There are many organizations which help people. In terms of Internet access, I don't think that people have major problems right now. That is, problems are essentially connected with unpredictability, with how people live in a constant state of tension and how they don't know where new missiles will impact.
0: So, is there anything that you'd like to to talk about that I haven't thought of asking yet?
1: I just wanted to add that uh, everybody in Ukraine believes that Ukraine will win this war. Of course, we uh, pay a very high price for this, but uh, I am sure that Ukraine will win and we will be a peaceful, uh, developing and prosperous country with uh, beautiful people and will be a part of European Union and I think that in uh, eight years ago when uh, Maidan happened we chose our way to Europe and uh, we don't want to live in such country as Russia Uh, we are very different we are not brothers with Russia and now more than 70 percent of Russian they just uh, support this war due to the statistics. So it's not Putin's war, it's war of uh, Russian's nation, of uh, Russian people against uh, my country, against our cities, uh, civilians, schools, kindergartens. And uh, when uh, Western politicians like the uh, Chancellor of Germany tell that it's just Putin's war, it's not Putin's war because only in Mariupol there are more than 20 thousands of dead and they keep on bombing it, it's uh, like a very big tragedy and we hope that everybody in Europe and uh, in the world will understand that it's a great catastrophe and we need help of. uh, global community now, because nobody knows uh, what happened next if Putin will occupy Ukraine. We remember World War Two, and there are um, a lot of things that are very similar now in Russian strategy uh, against Ukraine, so we just need help. We just uh, want NATO to close the sky and uh, we will hope that this war will end as soon as possible.
0: So I, I want to ask you about about that. Ukraine has gotten a lot of help from NATO and NATO countries, but not the no-fly zone, not certain jets. Are people frustrated with with NATO, with Europe, with the United States, or h- how are people feeling about the Western help that they have and have not gotten?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, people are quite disappointed, because uh, uh, a lot of people think, uh, and me too, that it's uh, not our war, it's the war between Russia and the whole uh,
2: civilized world.
1: world.
2: And Putin, as always, lives under the impression that empires rule the world as if right now it was 1922 rather than 2022. But only the international community, through its efforts, will be able to stop the war because Russia is 24 times bigger than Ukraine by size. The Russian armed forces are also much more numerous, so we need the support of the whole world.
0: And what about... The countries like China and Israel that have sought to, you know, mediate between the two parties that have retained uh, good relations with with Russia. And in China's case, I mean, Israel's providing human- some humanitarian aid, but China's actively considering providing military assistance to russia how are how are people feeling about also the united arab emirates right these countries that have really emphasized an, a neutral position is there anger directed to these countries how are how are people feeling about this
1: In
2: fact, yes, the situation with China sufficiently scares Ukraine we understand that China is playing a dual game and possibly wants to win from this war and receive some of its preferences. But at this stage, it seems difficult to predict how events will develop further within the context of
1: China. I would
2: also like to add that in 2014, when Russia occupied Crimea and a part of the Donbass, Western countries also introduced similar policies, especially Germany, as they continued to trade with Russia and act as if nothing had happened. And now we see the cost of these Western policies in relation to Russia. When Putin saw that he got away with the occupation of Crimea in 2014, he continued his imperial politics of conquest.
1: Political political.
0: All right. I, right. You've been very generous with your time, and I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for doing this. The Lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution, our audio engineer. This episode is Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo, Hey, folks, have you yet become a material supporter of Lawfare? You can do so at our Patreon, patreon.com lawfare. The Lawfare podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is, as always, performed by the one, the only Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening.